Fast to Forever. There's all kinds of family. We chose this one. This is episode 265, Pitch Black from 2000. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe Two, and this episode's brought to you by the Diesel Bat Company. I know baseball might just be over now, but if you need a custom wood bat handcrafted in New England, shout out to the Diesel Bat Company. I hope they only play at night, because otherwise we might have an issue. Well, shout out to the Diesel Bat oh. Company. Welcome to Too Fast, Too Forever. We are kicking off a three-part, not crossover, all here on the main feed, but we have another franchise, Core, to Mr. Vin Diesel's filmography. We have the Riddick franchise, and with us, every step of the way, you know him, you love him. Back from his lap a couple laps ago, we have Mr. Nico Vasillo. Hello, Nico. Hey, it's me. I'm here. I'm ready to get all chronicles of what ridiculous. <laughs> so now you had not, you were saying right before we started that you did not know anything about this franchise. What is your history with these Riddick films? Had you seen any of them? Did you know anything like, because I know that they also cross over into other medium. What is your extensive or not so extensive history with these movies? You know, I think like a lot of people, I sort of grew up with, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, canon was out there. I was really confused because I didn't realize it was going to get, you know, renamed something. You know, one of the things that threw me off was when they fell out of the wardrobe at the beginning of the movie and they made it clear that Vin Diesel was the lion. Um, okay. I was really confused. <laughs> Not Chronicles of Narnia. Got it. So <laughs> the actual thing is I had no idea what this movie was about. I pitch black. Okay. So it's like daylight. It's like, you know, maybe vampires. Ho- who knows? Well, I thought right? it was like Holland Tunnel and like, <laughs> but then I also thought like Riddick, like Mimic and like Relic. And so it's probably got like Mina, Mira Sorvino in like a tunnel somewhere and that's time appropriate right around that era right so i just thought it was that and then i started it and it wasn't so joe had you seen any of these i know that i no. I, I would assume that if you, if you had not seen them before, by the time we started the podcast you would have held it off but you did not did you know that there were three of them or no i only know that there were three of them because i think we talked about it with mike okay okay if you would have asked me beforehand how many of them there were I would not have known. I might have guessed three, but I wouldn't have been sure about it for sure. And I also, like Nico, had really no idea what we were in for. Okay. I knew the the story that, you know, Vin wanted to do uh, Chronicles of Riddick. That's why he came back to Fast and the Furious. Like, right? That was like the handshake mm-hmm, type thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I knew that part of it, but I... I had never seen these before, didn't know the story, like nothing about it, like went in completely blind. Okay, so the next three pit stops that we're doing, this one, and then the one after this, and the one after this, is the entire Riddick trilogy. So we are doing the first one, Pitch Black, now. For the next one, there is a short film called Dark Fury that comes between this and the second movie, Very 35 or 40 minutes. Very Vin of him to do this, a little... uh... It is, it's animated, 
which oh. is maybe a surprise. Does he do the voice in it? I don't himself? remember. So I'd seen Pitch Black and Dark Fury and Chronicles of Riddick like a decade ago, like forever ago. Like I had bought these on DVD and I don't know why, but I had them. I don't have it anymore, so I don't know what happened to it. But I had these three and then I saw the new Riddick, which is now a decade old in theaters when it came out. Okay. So I've seen all of this. Um, I know that from your lovely wife, Rachel, she was not necessarily a fan of this movie. No. She was but not. we will talk about that. But I do want to sort of want to establish the history, like where this comes Please. in Vin's career, because in 1998, he's in Saving Private Ryan. He's not a huge part in Saving. Like he's he's one of the main crew in that you know battalion. Uh, we're not covering. He's one spot. of Ryan's Just, privates. He's one of Ryan's privates. Exactly, shaving Ryan's privates. <laughs> We're not covering that just because I feel like there, there's that's not a Vin Diesel movie. It's just a movie that he is in. Yeah, he's like a – I, I get it. He's he, – I, I remember he's in it, but you're like, oh, Vin Diesel's in this, but yeah. it's not like Vin Diesel's a star of this. He's one of the guys in it, yes. Yeah. And so that kind of but that kind of puts him in prominence because it's a huge movie, wins Oscars, whatever. The next year, 99, he's in The Iron Giant. He voices The Iron Giant. We are going to cover that later this lap because that's a great movie, and he is the titular Iron Giant. So then in the year 2000, this comes out. It's a year before The Fast and the Furious. It's two years before Triple X. So between 2000 and 2002, the start of his like three main franchises all kick off, which is kind of crazy. Kind of The nuts, wild yeah. thing is that this movie, Pitch Black, and Joe, your favorite Vin Diesel movie, Boiler Room, hit theaters on the same day. So you could go see a Vin Diesel double feature on a Friday night, two brand new Vin Diesel movies, Boiler Room and Pitch Black come out the same day. Then vastly different movies, too. Like, very different. Okay. And then in 2001, obviously, there's The Fast and the Furious. There's also the movie Knockaround Guys, which we'll get to. And then 2002, there's Triple X. And then 2003, there's A Man Apart. And then he basically, you know, a couple years after that, returns to The Fast and Furious. And it's all from there. We'll, we'll get to that. But, like, it's kind of crazy to me that, like, you know, for, for a lot of Cruise Club, we were talking about how Tom Cruise wants to find a second franchise after Mission Impossible. Like, he's tried to do Jack Reacher. didn't really work. Yes, he tried yes. to do Dark Universe. And, like, Vin, none of these were really franchises at the time. Like, they were all kind of standalone movies. It doesn't even feel like they were planned to be. You know, we talk about that a lot. Like, you know, something – we were talking about that with Black Adam when we were bringing up The Rock. That, like, he's, like – He's starting a franchise with Black yes. Adam, essentially, yes. right? None of these three movies feel like you're starting a franchise. They're just three movies. No, right. And this one especially, and I'll get to the ending when we get to the end of the, the story, the end of like the main part of the episode, but like this was not meant to continue. And then they're just like, this is a really interesting character. Let's keep going. But yes, so like this... But interestingly, this and Triple X both have a movie that comes out three or four years after, and then, like, another sequel, like, a decade later. So, like, it's it's this weird kind of parallel path. Vin's in all of them. It's not like in Triple X where he leaves and Cube comes in, but it's this thing where it's just like, okay, there's one, we're going to dip our toe back in, and then, like, enough time passes. Like, hey, could we do another one? Maybe. Let's give it a shot. So, it's just interesting how that happens. And then, you know, Fast and Furious, we obviously know. So, this is directed by David Tuohy, T-W-O-H-Y. He's going to do all three of these movies. Um, other than that, he hasn't really directed any other major movies of note, but he has writing credits on The Fugitive, Waterworld, and G.I. Jane. Oh, that's funny. That's, I, that must have been why Rachel brought up Waterworld, because she was like, I think she was like looking up like things about the movie last night, and she was like, man, I really like that movie, Waterworld. And so she said it out of the blue, so that makes sense now. Probably, as she's trying to distract herself from what's on screen. Yeah. Uh, co-written by these guys, Jim and Ken Wheat, who I think are brothers. Uh, they 
have writing credits on Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which is one of the good ones, and The Fly 2, which I have not seen, and it was shot by David Egby, who I only bring up because he shot the original Mad Max, and parts of this are just like, hey, let's do Mad Max again, but like on another planet, basically, right? So it's that kind of vibe. But the only other thing I want to get into before we talk about the movie itself is that in the original screenplay and the first draft of the script, Riddick was a woman. Um, I don't know at what point that ah. changed, but obviously now we have Vin in the Riddick role. Yes, okay, which totally backs up my theory that this is a vastly superior alien resurrection. I had big alien vibes watching this, and knowing that you were coming on, I was getting excited. It felt very alien to me. So that's an interesting thing to bring up, and I want to hear more about that, Nico, but the film developed that the director, David he had an unused idea for Alien 3 involving a space prison. Oh. And so he had alien vibes on the brain, too. So please hit us with the, like your, your alien thoughts here on this movie. For me, one of the big things that stood out was that there was really nothing that solidified why these people in these situations. One of the big things that I ask myself when I'm looking at a film and I'm trying to look at it critically and objectively is I ask myself why these people and do, do these people somehow either enhance the story or does it feel mm-hmm. a little bit like there was a set of characters and a plot and, you know, they tried to meld it together. And the big thing that occurred to me here was this wasn't a film about character. It was a film about exploitation of genre and trope. And that doesn't mean like bad exploitation. I'm not like, let's start like, you know, a film exploitation helpline. But I think we need to consider that like the whole charm of this movie was that Vin Diesel didn't know it was going to be kind of silly and bad. And he plays it with such conviction that he kind of single-handedly elevates a movie. Like if Claudia Black doesn't shine in your film, something's going horribly wrong. Mm -hmm. And the elevation that Vin Diesel does by like not getting the memo at all and thinking he's making some sort of massive scale film is really, I think, what made this movie franchisable, because I agree, there is nothing franchisable about this film, but there is something certainly charming about this Vin Diesel, this peck shelf Vin Diesel, who really, I mean, this character is kind of one note, but he makes that note sing. It's really impressive. It's like Madonna's vocals in the 90s. Only one (laughs) note, but really, what a note. (laughs) I think you can watch this movie like knowing how much of Vin we have all seen and I think you can see like why he because knowing he's also like a huge nerd like this does feel like a D&D campaign that he's just like this is a different like it's still similar to what he does but it's different enough that like this is a little bit of an edgier Vin it's an R-rated Vin which the Triple X movies are not which the Fast and Furious movies are not and so he's allowed to be a little bit edgier say some you know swear a little bit more and also like it's a different kind of setting like it's the same type of character but I like that you can see kind of what he does and like the one I, I just I think it's enough different that I'm I'm also you know by this point Stockholm syndrome into, into these actors but like I really liked watching this because it's a it's the Vin that we know but in a, a different enough premise or context or placement to be interesting to me that's fair I think the setting does play a huge role in this I and mean, it's like one of the biggest pieces of this movie Vin's not really unearthing anything new with this 
character, in my opinion. Like, we've seen bits and pieces of Riddick throughout a bunch of different roles that he's had, but the setting definitely plays an interesting role. I do like that he gets to explore that. You're right. It seems like he's enjoying this one, too. You know what I mean? Like, as you said, like, he's, like, a big nerd and stuff like that. So it seems like he was having fun. Now, are you tiptoeing your way around? Are you aligned with your wife in not liking this movie? Or did you enjoy it more than her? Where do you fall on this first chronicle of Riddick? I... I Did not like it. Okay. No. I was, <laughs> I was not a big fan. I know that we, we talked about this. I forget what we were talking about it with, but we were talking about it with something else. That, like, the whole bat thing gave like just kicked huge stranger thing vibes and like that's not its fault but like seeing stranger things over the summer and having this bat thing like there was a point where like we're watching the movie and rachel's like oh no they should just play master of puppets and i was like yeah that's exactly what this feels like and it was like super religious this movie no well it's super religious but what's interesting is that vin is so atheistic which goes against everything about dom i found that fascinating as well well, yeah. and I think it's because the movie isn't religious. The movie is making a commentary on religious allegory in horror films and horror tropes. One of the things is that we love to create these sort of parallels of theism. You know, it's all of this stuff that's like, where's your God now? Well, God's yeah. in everything, which means God's also in death, which means you're absolutely trying to be difficult because if you didn't cherry pick what you were looking at, you'd see that the whole thing is a fucking house of cards, okay? <laughs> but... But then the whole thing's a house of cards. And by immediately putting it in context of space, one of the major things that I would point out is theism so often is kind of like, don't talk about the fucking aliens. And so once we're out in space and we're dealing with, I don't know, demon kites? Are they kites? Are they some sort of bat kite (laughs) creatures? I'm not sure. Either way, chim chim chimney. And I'm just fascinated by the idea that we're shown not a moralistic interpretation here. Because one of the things is if this was a religious movie, the religious or the pure of heart would survive, and those who didn't that were pure of heart would in some way be purified and would be redemptive of the others. But instead we're shown that there is a true randomness to the world. And it's sort of in that regard that one of the things is we're dealing with characters that are doing really non-human things. You know, the Riddick at the beginning of the movie is also not the Riddick at the end of the movie. Guy who fucking pops his own giant arms out of their sockets is not the same guy that's like, I'm going to do breakfast things driving a spaceship. Because they're just not the same character. But the idea that his character is explicitly godless Mm -hmm. and at the same time keith david's character is specifically religious and yet like literally a religious leader exactly and their redemption and freedom from the the shackles of this uh, fear this you know terror planet is the same i would fare that One of the bigger things here isn't so much that it's a religious film, but rather it's a film making commentary on sort of a dated form of theistic approach. Like we're looking at this from a, okay, well, that's pretty, look at you. You're pointing out religion. What's next? Are you going to tell me how edgy Arliss is? (laughs) So there's just a little bit that hasn't aged well. Well, so so with that in mind, did you mostly like this? Did you not like this? Like, where do you, where do you fall personally on this first Riddick movie? I thought it was um, 
all right, I thought it was marvelously stupid. Okay. Okay. Like, but like it, really good. You know, I think that if you change it to Waylon Utani, knowing that Ripley is unfucking stoppable, has labeled her cargo vessel that's carrying her cryo body a prisoner that is, you know, a possible murderer and escaped convict who could bring down the whole government. And she breaks out and has to save everybody. It's immediately an alien film just by changing that one little thing. And I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that it was very fun seeing Vin Diesel kind of Deadpool a little bit, like him sitting in that beach chair is so Beetlejuice mm-hmm. almost like the way it so breaks the fourth wall. So there was a lot of stuff here, but like a lot of nineties movies, it both goes way too far and nowhere near far enough. And the clashes of hyper realism, he's a morphine addict. Um, are you sure you're in this movie? <laughs> yeah. well, I want, that's what I'm wondering. Cause like my, in my head and this is, again, I, I saw these before, like, my history with movies, as I sort of babble about on every episode of 1999 on the podcast, is like I watched basically every movie for the first time in college. But I saw these, I think, before I went. So like I saw these like super early on. So like my memory of these is even even fuzzier, even vaguer. Fuzzier, I, but do do you like remember them fondly? No, or? I don't. Rem- so so the, the only real remember. thing I remember is that. I think the second one I was more excited for because it's like a flashier movie because it's like a sequel, like they had more money. Okay. Um, I don't remember, like, the way that I was picturing before I saw this one is that I thought I was going to like this first one the most, which I don't know if that's a, a reassuring sign to you, someone who did not like this first. I don't I don't know. Like, I, I really don't remember anything about these movies enough to, like, predict the next two. I think I remember the third one being probably the best made of the three. That also might not be true. I have no idea. I don't remember. Can I be a JRPG faggot real quick for a yeah, second? Yeah, of course. Because I, I have, I have a, anybody here play either Shadow Hearts or Kudelka? No, I've heard of Shadow Hearts. I've not heard of Kudelka, but I've never played either of them. Okay, so the plot of the game is in Shadow Hearts, because I came into Shadow Hearts first, and it's this guy is trying to fight Sir Francis Bacon. I can't explain it. Just go Super with it. Super cool. Okay, okay. Cool. cool. He can transform into monsters when the rage takes over. So like when he uses his regular abilities, he builds up his monster rage. It's kind of like, uh, what if Vincent from... Final Fantasy VII and his limit break was like a central character. Okay, cool. And okay. Uh, you find out that his mom was this woman named Kudelka, and it really reminded me of this game that my friend Caitlin used to tell me about. And sure enough, I tracked it down and like, yeah, this PS1 game about this woman who like is like chained up in a basement who has this child. It's the main character from Shadow Hearts is the fucking child. Okay. And then there's sequels and there's side canon. But like if you play Kudelka and then you play Shadow Hearts... I don't think you can make any sense of it. <laughs> okay. It is one is like seriously like this guy is trying to experiment on this woman, help her escape. The other game is like I summon demons and like it is it's like Blair Witch, Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, levels of, I don't think these are meant to be the same thing at all. Well, so here, so that's the other thing is that, like, we're going to get to these movies that completely, once again, rewrite the canon of this movie. They, okay. They, you know, like, things change. Like, I think if you're hoping that this, like, plays out in a logical way, I don't, I don't think, think so. that's going to happen either. I think we have to, like, it's the same character, just, like, in, like, I'm, I I would imagine it's somewhat similar, like, a comic book, like, which is, like, a, a new, it's the same director, but just, like, hey, it's another story, you know, it's, it's 
it's the character you know, it's this is it's Spider-Man again, but it's a new writer. Like I just I don't know that this is going to continue. So I think the Kadelka thing, Nico, like I don't know if we're gonna get any clearer answers here because I think they're just gonna change things to fit the new yeah. narrative, whatever they're telling in the next movie or next two movies. Exactly. And I do also want to add a, a comic book thing since you said comic books. Of course. Okay. I will also say uh, Janet Jackson. I will also say uh, oh, what God. other what other trigger words do you want me to say to just you know let you? What's go her name? Off? The other singer, the other singer that you really like, Tori Amos. Mm-hmm. Yes, there yes, we go. we're doing it, guys. Just yeah, you're turning me on. Um, <laughs> I'll say Robin. I'll say Carly. We haven't talked about the new Carly Ooh. yet. We could talk about oh, that. But keep so going. Keep good. going. So when Deadpool first came out, right? He was when was like, that? Like was that in the nineties? Was that before the nineties? How long, how old is Deadpool? New Mutants, uh, New Mutants 98 from like 1990. Okay, okay. He, in a major storyline, kept a woman chained up in a basement and they tortured her and had no problem putting guns to children's heads and was like, don't get in my way. I'll execute you. And it's sort of like Venom tried to eat Spider-Man and now he's a superhero. There's this thing that happens where... When you look at a property and you go, money, please, something that occurs is you have to examine this main character and you have to ask yourself three questions. And I really think this. You say, all right, is there something about this character that makes you think he might commit a hard R? Is it possible he would do that thing that no you know, protagonist should ever do? You know, the, the idea of like a sexual attack. Is that okay. in your dangerous bad guy early on it's definitely in deadpool early on and it's kind of maybe a little bit in some of the implicit physical behavior throwing women slamming a woman under his body and putting a knife at her like there's a lot of this riddick that is not a good guy who does right who's kind of like a does whatever it takes man yeah and that's a, a sort of thing that you have to ask yourself because if that's who this character is, then you can't make an action figure. Stop right now. Number two, who shot first? If you can ask yourself the question of, well, can you get out of any murders he did? We're rewatching Bones and it's so good. It's also so stupid. Rewatching Bones. Wow. Okay. Yeah. We watched the first six seasons and then quit. And now we're watching all 12 and okay. we're in season 10. And it's just, it takes the place of all procedurals. And one of the things is, it turns out one of the major main regular characters for the first several seasons has been like co-opted into working for a serial killer that eats people. And they write him out of the show because like he actually became a serial killer's apprentice. And so his time as a member of the bones team is done and he is out of the series for the remaining nine seasons. But one of the few things they do with one of his few subsequent appearances is he's like, by the way, I never ate anybody. I also <laughs> never killed anyone. Just in case you ever want to bring me back in a recurring role is pretty much what they say. So number one, you ask yourself, could the person have ever committed a sexual act? And if you can kind of see that there's meant to be this kind of like dangerous edge, because like speaking of Beetlejuice, don't rewatch Beetlejuice. He's literal. He literally molests Gina Davis multiple times in his first major scene like Mm. grabs at her looks up her skirt he's absolutely a fucking predator so that would be changed now uh you ask yourself who shot first could you escape out of any sort of murder they did and then the third big question is if you remove their edge is there still a character 
right? And so they sat down and they had to think about what makes Riddick work. No, if you remove his edge, there really isn't still a character from this film. No. So at some point, they just had to be like, we could either make a new Vin Diesel property or we could not irritate Vin Diesel when he's this big and just let him do the movie with the name he already likes. I could see that happening. I haven't seen the second one yet, but I, I have full vision to believe your theory to be true. Well, because he, he undergoes like a redemptive arc in here that I saw some people on Letterboxd feeling like, why are like writing? Like, why did he like it doesn't feel like the the the, the, the Riddick, the Richard B. Riddick that ends this movie, which, by the way, this movie is on Peacock Premium if you want to stream it for free. Yep. Um I don't know why people at the end, like people were saying, like I don't know why at the end he would have done this. It doesn't feel like the same kind of character, and it feels like maybe at that point you could like you need to make him kind of likable because like in the chance that you want to have a second movie, you can't be rooting for like a true antihero, not in the Taylor Swift sense of the word, but just in the like oh he's like a vigilante who like cuts a woman's hair and sniffs it like again without her knowledge, just like this weird like creepy like in a kind of a fun way, but not necessarily in a kind of person you want to root for kind of way. Yeah, like, as somebody who has some deranged sexual stuff, that's not necessarily something I look for in a character. Uh, I like to oh keep Oh my god, on... he's so relatable like me. Yeah, like, yeah. oh my god, he has shame when he locks the door. Like, that's, I, I don't, I don't want to know about his upper closet box. That's not what I'm looking to find out about. <laughs> and that he's putting this all out on the table, which makes me wonder... Does he have weird things? Is it like all pictures of clown feet dressed as dogs eating pie? Like, I don't understand what depraved places this could go. But, you know, I I don't know. I really don't think there is a Riddick character throughout the film. It almost seems like as they were making this movie, they were like, Vin, man, you're looking huge. We've heard you've got some other movies coming out. Seems like your uh, agent is trying to negotiate you more scenes. We're just going to kill everyone else except Keith David. Well, you know yeah. what this is? You know what He's this a gargoyle. Kind of, what this kind of feels like, and I didn't think about that till just now, but like the placement of it all, like this feels like it's Firefly, or like specifically Firefly, but then like Vin is the summer character because like, you know, Vin is like this like dangerous vigilante who's just like sort of being hauled on like an unrelated mission. And then it's like, okay, well, everybody killed and now it's the summer show. It's like, wait, hold on. Wait, what? That's why? Why are we following that one? Like, why? What? Even though not no, not Summer Summer Glau is the actress. What's her name? River River River, River Tam River Tam. Yes, because I always think that's so funny because it sounds like the Thames River. But I feel like it's that kind of thing where just like it could this movie could be about anything, and then he kind of like I don't know if they just found the character while filming it, or if Vin was more compelling or whatever. Because the other thing that we need to talk about, the biggest fascination of them all is the bounty hunter who has been transporting him is Cole Hauser, aka Carter yep. Verone, yep. as this guy who shoots you know morphine into his eye, which apparently that was the actor's idea. He's like, I want to do this because that's how people do it. I'm like, they're like, all right, go for it. But it it kind of feels like he just rose to the top because. It almost feels like this movie shouldn't be about him, but it becomes about him, which is kind of fascinating in a, in a weird sort of unconventional way. Yeah, Kohlhauser showing up had like an interesting character. I was really sad that we lost him because I was hoping that he continued on in the movies just because like I just want to see where this this would go. But it also feels really weird because like that's the only movie that Vin's not in. So like the connections there, but like, it's not like 
you know, we get a Paul mm-hmm. Walker, Tyrese type situation where you're like, oh, yeah, like, okay, they're buds. So, like, they're in a different movie together or something. You're just like, oh, these guys, like, never ran across each other on well, set it or is anything. funny that by the end of this movie, it's, like, proven. It's like, oh, yeah, no, Dom could definitely kick Carter Verone's ass. Like, he just easily handles John's yeah. in this movie. Just like, oh, that's that's exactly what happened in Too Fast if, if, if Vin was in that one, too. Exactly. Um, the one thing I do want to say about, like, looking forward to the future is that both both sequels to this are also rated R. So we might have that deranged, the possibility, at least, of a deranged, sort of unhinged Riddick character. Like, they're not cleaning it up because they want to make more money. So that's, I guess, maybe reassuring if you're into that. I don't know. Well, and I want to comment on Cole Hauser's character. I wish he died sooner. I wish he died that's way fair. harder, too, because yeah. they made him, for me kind of deplorable there's something about the idea of the like company man soldier and towing the line and doing what you gotta do that i understand that they're dressing it up real hard here but at the end of the day that actually makes you seem a little like undercapable if your whole perspective if your whole world is like i'll just kill whoever whatever it takes to get the job done all right, but like I think the thing is that Riddick is showing that you can do it a little bit more clever and you can actually have some style and that's, you know, what makes Riddick an interesting character. And it's like in that moment, I think we're supposed to suddenly be like, oh, this guy's evil. He has to die. It's just such a sudden change. Mm-hmm. I literally was thinking like, no, Riddick should spare him and should be like, look, you either fall in line so we all survive or you die. Because I don't think the guy was worth killing at that point it actually didn't make riddick seem like a badass it made riddick seem a little questionable when it comes to making decisions in life or death situations ultimately making him no better than the other guy but in this moment of battle they like transfer all of riddick's i'm the bad guy vibes into this dude and kill him when riddick comes back he might as well be like yeah I put all my badness in Cole Howard, uh, Cole Hauser, and killed him. So don't worry anymore, <laughs> it's gone guys. Now. Yeah, all, all my bad guyness is gone. Well, because Cole Hauser kind of looks like the stereotypical like action hero, action movie lead, right? Like he's like yeah. the good-looking blonde, blue eye, whatever. And then you're right. Like halfway through, they're like, "Oh, he's a junkie," and also he deprived another junkie of his final fix or whatever right before he died. Like just like, "Oh no, this guy's got to go." It's like, wait, but that wasn't what. So. I agree. Like, I think I was reading him as a villain because I knew that, like, in a certain sense, Vin is the hero of this movie, and also we're rooting for Vin because it's the, the, you know, the Vin lap, right? But, like, I'm still, like, I should be rooting for this guy, and I never really felt compelled to, and then the movie's, like, really don't. It's like, well, okay. But, like, I was already there, but, like, I don't know that the movie sold me on that, but I don't know. I think also, like, just Vin is more compelling. Like, Vin is more compelling as a bad guy than Cole Hauser is as either a good guy or a bad guy. That's fair. (sighs) I hate to say this, but it does feel like I, I and I haven't watched Yellowstone, but it feels like Kuhlhauser plays a really good secondary role. And like that's kind of his spot. If you switch Vin and Kuhlhauser's roles in this movie, it doesn't work. Right? Like I just don't I think that you nailed it, like he's not he doesn't have the Vin charisma to carry it if he needed to. And I wanna just parry a little bit more with that when I look at this story and I try and examine the characters and the tropes, I think one of the big things that comes across is that this was meant to be an alienation of the things that had come to define the 90s sci-fi tropisms. 
I think when you think back on Alien 3, just because we've gone to Alien for a moment, you think about the, you know, oh, we overcome it and we work together. The bad guys become the good guys and we're all united in this. Because, you know, I'm a really big fan of if someone, not even just a big fan of, like a political view for me is, you know, we need to be looking to help people come to terms with things they've done, get them help and therapy. You know, prison shouldn't be punishment. It should be a time to help turn someone's life around and get them out of that mindset and, you know, uh, believe in forgiveness. And I think those things are really important. But I don't think being given a bunch of giant weapons and saving your own fucking ass is the same thing as forgiveness for having murdered a bunch of people. I don't know. And... That was such an element of 90s tropist storytelling. And one of the things I think they're saying here is in Pitch Black, we don't have room for your Boy Scout gone bad because that's really what it is. You know, when you think about like uh, Rambo, the Rambo progression, it's like Rambo doesn't actually kill anybody in the first Rambo. And then he kills like three people in the second one. And then by the like fourth one, he's got 118 bodies or whatever. And it's because the idea of Rambo was that he was more threatening than he had to be a murderer and then once he was killing it was to prove a point look how severe the situation is but each time you ramp up the intensity you have to continue to ramp up the intensity or it seems mm-hmm. like it goes nowhere mm-hmm. so i think you know they wound up looking at this character arc this perverted out boy scout this guy who had represented saving us and now was, you know, the sort of effect of watchmanification of things at this point. Mm-hmm. And I think he was meant to be either, I think he was meant to be the hero, but ultimately there was no way to escape the overall devastation of that character type as the decade went on. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think I'm really I'm really interested to see how this continues in these next two movies because I feel like you could kind of take this in any number of directions and I don't remember enough about this. I think they add backstory. I think they shape things, they rechange that's, that's things. That's a problem that I had too and that Rachel and I were talking about that you just know that you just said that that like it feels like we're kind of thrown into something and we don't have the mythology backstory to to really bring like, it Like, I don't mind that. Like, I think there's too That's many things fair. that are just like, here's 30 minutes of exposition at the top and here's everything you need to know. And like, this is like a poorly done Star Wars. And it's like, here, like, you know, a long time ago, galaxy far away, there's this race. And it's just like, I don't care about that. Like, just throw us into the thing and let me figure it out. Like, I think if the beginning of the movie looked better, like, I think this movie is sort of bisected in half. I think the back half is really good. The front half is not as good. I think both visually and just like everything. I think everything comes together in the second half and also looks a lot better. I think if it was more compelling visually from the jump, there would be less of an issue. I don't have a, I personally don't have a problem with like not having lore. Uh, I, I kind of just want to like have a cool movie. Because I think I think that I think the difficulty there, Joe, is that like if you're thinking about this as the start of a trilogy, yeah, you kind of want more lore. But if you think about this just like a standalone movie, you kind of don't want to weigh down with lore. You just want to have like a cool story. Yeah, because hey, man, we complain all the time that we don't need a two and a half hour movie for every mm-hmm. movie, right? I get that. But I was just saying, like, as it's unfolding, they also still aren't really explaining the lore to my liking. Well, what did you want to know that they didn't explicitly answer? I don't know. I can't think of anything like specific, but just like just like unpack it for me. Like as we're going, be like, oh yeah, that was whatever. And well, if I can, the, yes, like, please. I 
I think I get what you're saying. I I was not sure what I was putting on with this movie. I really, when I say I was expecting Mira Sorvino to push up a pair of glasses and say, yes, I just graduated from the MIT science program on underground cave sewer monster exploration that no one thinks is real, but I'm going to prove it today. Oh, look, that's not a sewer monster. It's Vin Diesel. Sure. Like, that's what I thought I was turning on. I'd also watch that movie. I would too. I'd watch the shit out of that. Um, just because I think that would be like their chemistry, Vin Diesel as some Ooh. sort of sewer monster and uh, Mira Servino as like a brilliant ingenue scientist, but like at her current age where she looks fantastic. Mm. I think it would just be very funny. Uh, maybe Italian and uh, probably Italian. Yeah, I'm, I'm really into this film. Okay. Anyway, uh, to the point, I think when I, I didn't know what I was getting with this movie, I think it leads to a situation where there's no setup, right? So when I didn't know what I was getting and then all of a sudden we're shaking violently on a spaceship hurtling towards yeah. Earth and it feels a little bit like a simulator game from the 90s mm-hmm. and I don't really understand what I'm being thrust into. I'm not saying that I exactly needed the Star Wars crawl with Vin Diesel mumbling the Star Wars theme. You know, like that's not what uh, now I need that album. Vin Diesel mumbles the classics, but by John Williams. Oh my God. Vin Diesel mumbles the John Williams classics. I'm fucked. So the thing I could have used was some exploration of what this ship is. And I'm not saying go more alien, but we just, you know, it's a point we've come to. So it's a, and it's a pretty common thing that people have seen a lot of the way that opening 10 minutes of prometheus uses david to explore the fundamental way you need to be able to interact with this world if you didn't watch the 17 vaguely required featurettes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know all of a sudden we're in this thing and we're like oh we've been woken up out of hyperstasis and i'm like oh that's both generic and unclear and then they're like, we're hurtling toward this planet. And I'm like, wait, is that what's happening? I just think you guys are being shaken. Oh, there's a prisoner and Riddick. And I'm like, wait, is Riddick, is Riddick the prisoner or not? And because sometimes he's lit kind of funny. I kept thinking yeah. it was possible that Vin Diesel, there was also like a lady that was also Vin Diesel. Because uh, the knockers are huge, this film. So in Shadow, sometimes I thought he was a little chesty in a good way. Get it. Get it, daddy. Fuck, dude. Own it. And so if I'd had 5% more explanation and I didn't have to spend like two thirds of my brain trying to decipher each moment, I could have just let what is essentially a very stupid movie happen to me. But because I had to engage my forebrain, it's like... um. It's uh, ADHD super uh, super concentration mechanisms because mm-hmm. people with ADD and ADHD have to work so hard to focus on things. It makes other things less pleasant and it makes like sound a distractibility that hurts their head because I had to focus I, there. Like I don't act, like, I'm not uh, anyway. Uh, so be, <laughs> I'm like talking in third person. So because I had to use so much like focus mechanism to understand what I was watching at all times, it made enjoying the stupid a little harder. And the stupid was great. This was like a really fun, dumb action movie. And I don't think anybody here thought that they were making Anna Karenina. Sure. Right. Nobody thinks that I'm coming for their personal interpretation of Dubliners. This was a dumb action movie. 
like I think there's something, and I I think it was in theaters. Like the budget for this one, I looked it up, was twenty three million dollars. So not huge, but like sizable. And I think that it does kind of feel like just a movie that you would maybe find on a sci fi channel, but like was big enough because it's a different era. Like now, I think today, if this came out, it'd be straight to VOD. But yeah. I think it was just kind of like a hey, this is a science fiction movie. Like you like those, right? Go see it. And then it became more either because Vin blew up or because Vin, you know, was passionate about this and had the clout to make it blow up or whatever. Because this budget of twenty three made 53 worldwide like made a little bit of money but not a ton like this is not a movie that like warranted an entire franchise in this ongoing like saga like a you know an actor returning to a franchise he left to make another one it just kind of feels like yeah it's a movie and then for any number of reasons it's it's this thing so i feel like it's it's again like Joe. We've talked about recently on here about like watching things for certain reasons or whatever. Like yes, maybe the, like I think we're sort of in a way assigning too much weight to this movie because like I think to Nika's point, it kind of is just supposed to be like a dumb sci-fi movie with like That's cool fair. visuals. And then because like but because we're watching it twenty-two years after the fact, and we know that we're doing a three-episode thing about it, it's like oh well, this has got to be more. It's like no, well, not really because like the first movie, the first Fast and Furious movie, we love, but like as a movie, it's just like yeah, it's pretty good. But, like, we love it because the characters are great, and then it yes. became a thing. But if you, like, watch that, like, for the first time, like, wait, this is the start of, like, a, a what? Like, a how, what? Like, I think that there's there's sort of an unfair weight put on this. Not that, you know, not as an excuse, but I just think that, like, I don't think that they had, hey, it's just, you know, a bunch of badass people in space, you know, doing space shit. And there's bat Fighting kites. bats. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that the bats are these sort of hard to describe monsters that have this sprawling bone-like form sort of like they're almost like carrion remnants come to life right and you know the fact that so keva watched this with me because okay he is super excited to jump in if cool. he can do the next one so he wanted to be caught up he pauses the movie because uh, i appreciate you saying peacock i also saw peacock but i said you know what i'm gonna rent it i just want to make life easy and uh, I rented it through Amazon so I had 48 hours to watch it and Kevo watched it with me and he pauses it and he looks over at me and he goes a whole fucking hour to get to the pitch black part mm-hmm. and so then it's like an hour and 35 minutes in and I'm like there's like like a dick length of this movie left and all I can think is it has not once been like Vanta black enough for me yeah yeah part of what the idea of using pitch black the way in which the monsters are frightening instead of just sort of like horror sci-fi monsters is it's exploring the idea that the atmosphere creates a little bit more of the movie. If you didn't know that it was going to be about the dark and the darkness coming, if you didn't know that this dark was going to occur, it kind of would make the point at which everything is very dark, just a moment in the film instead of a climbing apex, but by calling the film pitch black mm-hmm. and making the, you know, like Shakespearean midpoint, right? Like the actual center of the film uh, by making that the pitch black moment, I think the uh, sort of reverberating effect is it makes that something that like there's build up toward. It's the moment you've waited for it. It's like calling, it, are you saying that in a good way or a bad way or both? I'm saying it in, at least in a technical way because even if I thought this movie was terribly directed, like, and I know I'm not a director, and so like, uh, you know, David Tuhi, I am certainly not, you know, because I know he listens to all of my work. I am certainly not 
coming for his. Oh, he listens to your work. He doesn't listen to our show. He listens to your work specifically. Got exactly. It. Okay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. He uh, listens to everything I do. Okay. Big fan of my SoundCloud. And um, he, I certainly not. Do you think I Vin Diesel would be the best SoundCloud mumble rapper? Probably, right? I actually would prefer it if he made mumble jazz. Okay, so he's got mumble John Williams and mumble jazz. Okay, got it. Yeah, like I really want him to do a lot of Frank Sinatra covers, but mumble Ooh. them. Okay. Very standards, very... I did it my way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Buck be a lady. Vroom, vroom. You know, very, <laughs> very in that wheelhouse. There's a manipulative quality to calling these things these things to bring up Blair Witch again, which I don't think I've ever talked about Blair Witch on this network, so good for me. Two references to something new. You know, by calling it the Blair Witch Project, it automatically makes the Blair Witch the whole focus. Because sure. if you actually... If you don't know that it's a horror movie and you don't push it from that point with a little bit of editing, you could really make it like a psychological survival film. Yeah. Which it also is. So now here's a here's an idea, and I don't know if this would have made it better or worse, but I feel like to bring up the Prometheus thing again, to a certain point you're watching Prometheus like, oh, they're about they're gonna find the alien and sort of start this narrative, this universe down a path where like something like we're gonna see a scene where scientists like find eggs or something and like something breaks bad, right? And I feel like in this movie, the sort of parallel is that like they're on this planet with three suns and they're circling around and they don't know what's going on. And then they find this room and they find all these dead bodies of like, oh, there's going to be an eclipse and these things are going to kill us or whatever. Right. Like that feels like the moment, like the sort of like finding the eggs and then the pitch black is like, you know, when the alien comes, would you guys have liked this movie better if it was 100 percent the same? But it came like second in the series. Like the first movie is the Chronicles of Riddick. Like there's the Dark Fury where like I think mm. I don't remember specifically, but I think the Dark Fury, like this anime thing, like gives backstory in, you know, describes, explains the Furians, which is the race that Vin Diesel's character is. And then the Chronicles of Riddick, like say that there's more of like a sci-fi, like you know who these people are, you know what Vin Diesel is. And then this movie comes later and yep. it's exactly shot for shot verbatim the same story, but it's like, here's where it all began. Would you have liked that more or less? For me personally, yes. For more. me personally, okay. yes, definitely. I would have enjoyed a prequel to this and i actually think if i get a prequel in the next one for whatever reason I well i'm not saying a prequel i'm just saying like this would be the prequel you mean this would have be the second film in a franchise i am saying that there would be like the chronicles of riddick comes first we know who they are we know the characters are and then this movie as it stands comes later it's like this is what happened before it's like that kind of star wars where you watch Episode yes, 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 one, yes, yes. three, four, five, two, three. Like you, you like I, I, for for that comparison. Like Riddick introduced Chronicles of Riddick introduces Darth Vader. And it's like here's where he came from. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I'm wondering if your issue with the movie, like your collective issue, like and I, you know, it's not necessarily an issue issue, but like if you, if it's just a matter of placement, if you like, if you would have so, liked the story more, if you knew the characters better, I think so. I think that that's what the, I think that that would have helped me personally. Like I don't think that like that's a problem that everyone would have, and I don't think it's even like a huge problem. But just like from my own taste and my own experience, I think maybe if I would have watched them in what is like a chronological order, and I had some stakes and like knew some of the backstory type situations as a as opposed to just unpacking it as it's happening live, which I get is, you know, difficult because they're not trying to make a franchise with this. They're just trying to make a stupid action movie. But if it did play out like this, I think that I would have been, like, more invested. It would, for me, take a completely different pitch black because the film I get 
this has all of the character continuity of a McDonald's Playland set. And if you try to explode that out into a second film, like where this is the response to some other characterization, this is either then a shallow characterization, Mm -hmm. no matter what you do, or I cannot imagine the cardboard, the, you know, the film would have the consistency of Eucharist. Like it would be unbelievably (laughs) flat to imagine uh, a movie to which this is the raising stakes of emotional characterization. I'm just trying to like, if, if the issue with the movie is the framing or the story itself or a little bit of both or, you know, where we're coming from. Cause I think, I don't think this story is bad. I, I like the idea of it. I like that. It's just like a mild twist on something that I can relate to that plays into this. Like we're just making a fun action movie type situation. Mm-hmm. Like I like that. That doesn't like the actual like you know this part of it. Even fighting the bats thing, like I said, the Stranger Things thing. It's just a, it's just bad timing, right? Like for my viewing experience, that doesn't like the bat fighting the bats. Whatever, that's fine. And I do like the yeah the eclipse, whatever new world. So like yeah, I think the story is fine. Because I think this movie does things that are you know, maybe not brand new, but I think it does things well. Like I think the visuals of him. Like the the POV from his eyes when the goggles are off, like the kind of like the crystalline world, I think look kind of yes. cool. Yeah. They also sold those. The a company called LensQuest sold those contact lenses called Shine Job. If you want your eyes to look kind of funky like that, Ooh, um, weird. That doesn't sound healthy. They all. also couldn't remove those contact lenses when they first put them in Vin's eyes, so they had to call like the flow. They had to fly in an optometrist from a nearby town three hours away to get them out of Vin's eyes. See, told you, it didn't sound healthy at all. That's so, exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Um, also, the backstory about like you know getting them in prison so you can like watch your back, like it's just like it's it's a very cool specific thing that I think works pretty well. I don't know. I also think it's just a victim of its era and its period of time. I think they made the best version of this movie they could when they made it, and with that budget, yeah, yeah. And Riddick did bats kind of stupid, so that you know Stranger Things could do bats dynamic. It's not poor timing in any any way other than you're being able to draw a connection from something that even if this didn't directly inspire the stranger things creators it inspired someone who maybe had an influence it's why they saw it again and yep yep you know the biggest problem this film faces is the idea that it is trying to be like toxically masculine in a way that at the time this film came out was totally acceptable, but beyond the fact that it was totally acceptable, the thing is, that's not who Vin Diesel is like, uh, to, to level a little bit. I think from the outside, Vin Diesel seems like a jackass. Mm -hmm. I think Vin Diesel is the Fergie of acting. He just sort of seems like somebody who, if all you've ever seen is I'm Fergie. Yeah. And like you just know her to be like coked out Fergie crystal meth mess lady who's always rapping her own name and spelling in songs to prove her third grade education. I think you can be really easily dismissive. And I think Vin Diesel is that, you know, Vin Diesel is just buttered popcorn. He's just giant and filler and delicious and cheap and easy. But like if you actually look at Dom Toretto, God damn it. That's like a character that. 
actively works to subvert toxic masculine things. Like, I feel like if you went up to Dom Toretto and were like, I'm also an alpha male, I'm going to fight you now. I feel like Dom Toretto would laugh in your face and be like, come on, what's an alpha male? Come on, I'm going to break your legs, but what's an alpha male? Come on. And like, it wouldn't even be a thing for him. He wouldn't be asserting dominance by breaking someone's legs. He would be making sure that this guy didn't do this to someone who wasn't as strong as Dom Toretto. And there's an active effort to create a world in which the ideas of an alpha male where, you know, the you know it's all made up, these terminology. And so then all of a sudden, you know, Gay came up with Sigma male, which is even more alpha male. And like, Ooh. that's the kind of shit that Dom Toretto would find hysterical and because it's embarrassing. And that's who I think Vin Diesel is. And I don't mean that in a limited way, but I think Vin Diesel likes to play characters that identify with the same moral core he has. When you're looking at a character like Riddick, I think maybe that's that's my theory on what you said earlier. When I look at Riddick, I see the character he began as when the movie started, because maybe they filmed this linearly. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the movie, it really is like, Nope, we've found part of the Vin Diesel character model. He's going to quip. He's going to be like a slightly less funny Will Smith. Um, <laughs> you know, we're going to we're going to do this. So here's the only note that I have from IMDb about that uh, is that this was supposed to be a standalone film. But during production, Vin and the cast and crew became intrigued by the character and the ending, okay. wherein he was supposed to die instead of Carolyn. Because at the end, he kind of breaks his leg or whatever, and she goes to rescue him, and, like, they're kind of helping each other onto the ship, and then it kind of looks like he stabs her, like, in an act of betrayal, but then you find out that the uh, creature has stabbed her and flies her away. Apparently, yeah. that was supposed to be him, but they're like, ooh, there's something here with this character. Maybe, to your point, Nico, maybe it's the Vin thing, who knows? But, like, this was supposed to end with him dying. I don't know if it's supposed to be, like, an act of sacrifice, or just, like, he got away, or who knows what, right? Probably sacrifice, right? But, like... That's not what happened here. And so I think it's they, they found something while shooting this at, w at what stage, who knows. But they're like, we're going to change this because there's more here than we initially thought when we wrote this and cast Vin Diesel in the role. That that tracks for how it tonally shifts, too, a little bit, I think. Like how the character evolves like you guys are talking about. It happens. Things things evolve as you're making them. That's fine. Yeah. Which, which is probably long-term better. Then yeah. if you're like, at least it feels more honest, right? It's just like, yeah. oh, well, you know, we wrote that he was supposed to die, so we're going to kill him. And it's like, well, we just, we, the character grew. And, you know, who knows, right? So, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, Joe, do you have any other thoughts, any other notes, any other ideas about Pitch Black? Because I have a couple more things, but go to you first. I like the goofy glasses, especially since your man now, like, as of recording, your man, Justin oh Jefferson, was wearing oh. Spy Kids glasses Okay. Mm -hmm. this weekend. I, I was a little reminiscent about that, so I thought that was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. um, I think they waste a lot of, as, a, as an adamant, long-standing Jack Daniels drinker, I feel like they waste so much Jack Daniels in this movie trying to stay alive when you could just be drinking it and happy that you're dying from bats. Well, did you appreciate that they turned them into these, like, kind of glow torches where they're just, like, no. you know, they find the, the, the bioluminescent worms and, like, it's Jack that saves them, Joe. It, I, it is, but it could have saved them emotionally if they would have just drank it. Okay, that's fair. And that's that was a problem I had with this yeah. movie. 
Yeah, um, and then I talked about the, oh, we get another Dom, like, kind of crucifixion, hands over the head, strapped in thing again, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is now, uh, we just said that he did, I think he did it in Triple X, he does it in Fast and the Furious, and now he does it here, too, I'm like, I, I might have to ask Nico, Nico, is this just because that's, like, a really good pose to, like, show off your bod? Yeah, and it shows not just your body, but, you know, he purposefully dislocates his shoulders to show how tough he is. Which apparently he's able to do, like Vin the actor is able to do. He couldn't do it with handcuffs on, but he could do it normally. But like, that's another kind of like, oh, Vin is kind of like a freakish, animalistic, you know, performer. Yeah, that is weird. And and I guess if you can do that, you would. I would be like, yeah, let's put that in the movie. Dude. It's Look, gross, though. Yeah. I also want to point out that there is something about the difference between writing and executing. When you write a character on paper, that's great. But when somebody reads it out loud, it comes to life in a different way. It's the same thing with when you write a piece of music. You know, the idea of somebody taking those lines and making them infinitely more powerful. Like when I think about the fact that Mike Myers originally recorded the Shrek dialogue just as fucking Mike Myers. Cool, 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 cool. Donkey, no. Like, ah, that's terrible. Or when I think about that originally Jack Sparrow, all of that dialogue was supposed to be read straight and cunning and evil. What? Yeah. No, that's bad. And so I think about the way that like a really good actor can infuse it with something unique, with something very different that you don't see coming. And it's also really possible because Vin Diesel's not a bad actor. I would say perhaps the capacity of his range is somewhat limited by the fact that his physicality pervades his like atomic structure. If I looked at Vin Diesel's cells under a microscope, they'd be big. Like that's just <laughs> who Vin Diesel is. You would need a macroscope, not a microscope. Oh, fucking hot, man. And like he, you know, I feel like every now and then, you know, when, a, when somebody dies, they go, oh, we discovered this thing about that celebrity. I feel like, you know, they'd be like, oh, uh, his heart was gigantic. Actually, it's the right size for the rest of him. So uh, it's just too big for a normal human heart. It's been <laughs> sized. And that's the ultimate thing about a film franchise that's hinged on a single actor. It's not that Riddick has to be interesting. It's that Vin Diesel has to be interesting as Riddick. And that's a very different thing. It's not Vin Diesel as Riddick. It's pretty much Vin Diesel in Riddick. I think that's why you cast actors. Like, that's the whole point of the casting process, right? Like, you you cast people who are going to bring the the characters on the page to life. And, like, you're casting Vin Diesel to turn the Riddick that you write into the Vin-Riddick hybrid to a certain extent, right? Whereas when you hire Meryl Streep, it's because the role is just the role. Yeah. It's not Meryl Streep as the role, but then that's why you cast Meryl Streep. You cast Colin Farrell if you want an actor who's going to show his fat, uncut dick. You just you <laughs> cast the person <laughs> that does the thing you need. I had a friend who was like, God damn it, the worst that ever happened was Jennifer Connelly winning that Oscar because now she's never going to show her tits again. And I think about that all the time. <laughs> Colin Farrell, really great in Banshees of Sharon, though, if you want to go see that. Does not show his dick, but is great in that movie. Joe, do you have any other thoughts, other, other notes? 
Um, no, I think I mixed them all. Oh, uh, when the movie started out, I felt bad, and um, knowing Nico was joining, I was reminiscent and felt bad for Kara, knowing that it was just strobing lights, and it probably would have oh, driven yeah. her up a wall. So, um, yeah, that that was my final thought on that. That was like an intense way to start the movie, right? Like, I paused it, I'm just like, like, I paused it to do unrelated, I'm just like... It, it, in my brain, I'm like, when I pause this, am I, am I going to pause on a strobe and have to repause? Like, I pause like, when it was dark or whatever. I was just like, this is intense. This is an intense it, way to open it. It was, yeah. Nico, what about you? Thoughts? Any other notes? Any other ideas about Pitch Black? Criminal underuse of Claudia Black. Uh, Vin looks maybe the fittest he ever looks here. Mm. I think after this, he foregoes a lot of definition for additional mass. And, yeah. like, you know... There's so much to be said about crazy body expectations and stuff. Every time a Marvel actor is like, yeah, I got fucking this to be in this Marvel movie. And Marvel's like, uh, we don't know why they did that. We said, please don't do that. Like Kumail. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Will Poulter. Um, mm-hmm. And now you've got, you know, Vin Diesel, who I think kind of went the opposite way. I'm not saying that he doesn't train big and train hard. I'm not saying he's not a big monster, but like Vin Diesel doesn't get on screen and go, look how giant and cut and strong. And like, he's not the rock where the rock is like, check out every one of my muscles. (laughs) And then like his muscles all smile at you. It's more like, I'm a big man. And that's just, I'm very big. Yeah. And everyone's like, yes, Vin, you are very big. And he's like, my name could be big diesel. And everyone's like, <laughs> it could Vin. And he's like, say it. And they're like, what? And he's like, say big diesel. And they're like, all right, big diesel. And he's like, I don't like it. Say Vin again. And they're like, fine, Vin diesel. And he's like, okay. And like, that's the conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have three more very, very quick little things that we can watch the trailer, but I liked having a mini Vin Diesel in that Jack Jackie character. I think that was uh, – it was just cool to see, like, a, a character that, like, looks and dresses and, like, has their head shaved identically to Vin Diesel. Like, I thought that was kind of – you know, we've gotten – we've not gotten really a mini Dom, right? So, like, I want a mini Dom. That would be cool. Excuse um, me. We have absolutely gotten a mini Dom. I did not watch an actual infinite number of episodes. I'm still fucking stuck watching Spy Racers right now. I'm still there, part of me. We have a mini dumb. <laughs> All right, that's fair. That is that is fair. I was thinking about the real, because I have somehow compartmentalized the Spy Racers out of my brain. But Justice always, for Tony Toretto. It's always in there, too. I liked seeing him shave his head with his personal grooming tool, that knife, like that like gooey glop. I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, what was that? That was like, he... Like instead of shaving cream, he just uses like like axle grease, which felt very fast and the furious. It seems know? like reusable too, right? Like he's shaving it off and putting it in a bucket, I would imagine, to put back on his head the next time he shaves his head. Like I don't know, man. That's it was weird, but it worked. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is at the end, you know, after Carolyn gets killed by the creature and gets taken away and like they go back and they save the people and they get on the ship and like he's he's priming the engine to fly away and like he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. They're like, we got to go. We got to go. And he goes, we can't leave without saying goodnight. And then he basically hits the Nas and yep. like incinerates all the creatures. But like he finally gets to drive at the end and hits the afterburners, kills a bunch of bats at the end and flies away safely. But I was just like, that's a pretty cool like, you know, quarter mile at a time, quarter parsec at a time right Ooh, like yeah so all right let's watch the trailer i'm curious to see how they how they sell this movie uh nico i emailed I this too. to you um so this is on so we found since we last recorded i, oh, I tweeted yeah. with no context i was like mystery solved and only you liked it joe because like nobody else knows what the fuck we're talking about um but 
Rotten Tomatoes and movie clips have merged. So this is maybe a movie clips classic trailer formally, but it's a Rotten Tomatoes classic trailers. Pitch Black official trailer number one, Vin Diesel movie 2000 HT has 2.1 million views posted 10 years ago. So let's watch this together. Let me know when you're both ready. Have it queued up at 000 and I will count us in. Already good to go. I'm ready too. All right. Three, two, one, play. I know that Jason Rainey listened to the show, watched this movie for a past, I think, Letterboxd challenge because it was on one of those like best movies you've never seen. Okay. And he's just like, it wasn't that, but like I enjoyed it. But it was not like, you know, one of those like great underseen classics. They let Nico do the impressions underneath this trailer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is. Guys, come on. You're dead on. It's like that's the scariest, closest we've ever gotten to it. The movie does start with Vin voiceover, and then I don't think he talks again until like half an hour in, which is kind of a cool, like, badass buildup, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely they changed their mind and made him the main character later. Yeah. I do like the, you know, the trope of, like, unlikely prisoner becoming hero, like Kate Austin in Lost, right? Vin in this movie. Yeah. I like that trope. I agree with you. I also would like it if this movie was the exact same movie but starring Jane Austen. Yes. So Jane Austen making Anna Karenina pitch black, starring... We stick to daylight, we should be all right. Tori Amos. When I come on this show, it gets very progressive. It's, it does. It's really woke. <laughs> I remember early on in the Charlie's, this is just like, a, I'm, I'm just talking over the trailer because like it's sort of uneventful. Early on it in the is, Charlie's right? podcast, uh, we would do like the recast game. We're like, if we were making this today, like how would we do this? And like Nico was on the fourth episode. And he's just like, well, this character's black and this character's queer. And me and Mike were like, oh, you can't just cast white guys? Like Nico yes. just like actually did it like in a way <laughs> yeah. that like, we should have been doing. So me and Mike are like, oh yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do Timothy Chalamet. And then Nico's like, okay, we're going to gender swap this. And now it's a black queer woman. We're like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, that's actually fuck. interesting. Yeah, this made it so much better. Thank you. I, uh. I, I'm, like, the biggest Kim Petras fan in the world. I am, like, I fucking live for her. I think she's a god, and uh, she is everything to me right now. And uh, she just, you know, did this amazing thing in Billboard about being the first trans woman to ever have a number one and how she, like, doesn't love to bring up that she's a trans woman because that's not what it's about. It's about being a woman, and you can just deal with that. It's not yeah. an identity she hides behind. And I'm just like, yes. Yes, that's absolutely right. Subvert expectations. There's people who have definitely jacked off to her and are like, oh, okay, trans ladies, I get it now. And like, (laughs) that is a thousand percent. Like, if somebody wakes up one morning and goes, wow, I didn't realize that thing is cool, doesn't bother me, and should be a part of my daily life. Mm -hmm. Like, the world is a little better that day. Yeah, for sure. I also, as, the, as a button to that trailer, like, I think, I don't know if the trailer's good or bad, but, like, I don't think if you go to see that movie after you see that trailer, you're going to be disappointed. It's just like, yeah, that's that's the that's the movie that the trailer delivers, right? It's just like, It yeah. does. Yeah, it was, like, nothing, like, surprising. It didn't really spoil anything, I don't think. And it just was like, yeah, it was like, 
that this is a two a, a minute thirty of what you're probably gonna see here. Mm-hmm. And, like, and there's okay. creatures at the end. It's like okay, there's gonna be creatures on the planet. Okay, cool, got it. Yeah. No, I I I disagree. I think that was the trailer for the first hour of the movie, and I did not okay. see the trailer for the second forty minutes of that movie. But I appreciate that about the movie that they're they're not gonna spoil what it becomes. I can appreciate that because it's not. Yeah, you know, I'm so tired of, but don't know anything about the movie when you go to see it okay but then you're not asking me to go experience a movie you're asking me to go to experience a subversion of expectation Mm -hmm. um that's two different things and then i'm not really grading the movie i'm grading how had i felt and that's cool too but that's not the same thing as grading the movie sure it's just not and uh when a movie is not the movie you think it is right like i love classic lenny kravitz um and i'm a pretty big fan of leaning forward on the stage in his pants ripping open and just continuing to hang it all out big lenny old pierce dick yep mm-hmm. oh such a lovely pierce dick uh he's so hot <laughs> i love him i just want to make out with lenny kravitz so bad it's like on my bucket list he's so fucking cool man anyway um are you gonna go my way is it about if jesus came back that's him asking people if they're gonna go his way you know, I think the worst Lenny Kravitz song of all time is Again, because that verse is so cool. It's like, yeah, it's rocking. And then this fucking weak ass faggoty chorus comes in <laughs> and it's like, where have you been? And I'm like, Lenny, you are too hot to whine like that. Your daughter is Zoe Kravitz. You think about the response. He's basically an endless right it's like there's dream there's death there's despair there's desire there's delenny kravitz and it's really so um when i think about things where like you know the the one doesn't pay off the other i always am like is it lenny kravitz's again no this one is not lenny kravitz's again i think this passes the it's two different things test i just don't think the trailer lets you know that well i okay so would you I would be pleasantly surprised, I think also because I like the second half more than the first half. Agreed on that, both counts. Yeah, okay. Um, so we have one more game to play. Nico, I don't know if you, about, I don't know if you know about this game, but it's the letterbox game where, I'll, I'll go step by step, but for reference sake, Mad Max Fury Road, one of the most popular films on Letterbox, has been logged 1.2 million times by Letterbox users. Pitch Black, from 2000, directed by David Tuohy, starring oh. Vin Diesel, Rada Mitchell, and Cole Hauser. Has been seen by how many people? Nico, these games are exceptionally difficult. Do not feel any pressure to be anywhere near. But Joe, why don't you give a guess first? Joe, how many people do you think have logged Pitch Black on Letterboxd.com? 67,500. 67,000 people. Nico, how many people do you think have logged Pitch Black on Letterboxd? 208,535. Somewhere in between 67,000 and 208,000. Take another guess. Joe, what was your real first guess? 87,000, Sidney Crosby. Okay. Nico? I'm going to go full Gloria Estefan. One, two, three, four, zero, zero. (laughs) Joe is pretty close. We're going to cap it. It's right under 85,000. 84, 882 have seen Pitch Black, which is honestly for a movie that's this old and not obscure but not like wildly popular pretty high vin vin but you also have to factor in that like the sci-fi quality i feel plays heavier in a place like letterbox like the people that are on letterbox would also be people that are fans of sci-fi and although it's a like an older movie and there's there was a recent or one it, there's three of them that was my factors 
I just want to point out they're all lying. It's like people who say they don't masturbate. They're just lying. I will say friends of the show, past guests, listeners, Garrett Smith gave this movie two stars. Jason Rainey gave it three stars. Our newer three and a half. And Austin Wolf Southern gave it four. Average rating overall, though, 3.3 and most common a three, then a three and a half, then a four. How many people? So, so Nico, on Letterboxd, every account has a top four favorite films. And sometimes people change it. Sometimes they do like jokes. Sometimes it's just people's like four favorite films. So out of those 85,000 people, who have logged Pitch Black, how many people have this movie in their top four favorite films of all time? 612. Oh, that's a ton. No, I, I think it's like six, and that's high. I will say once again, in between those numbers, between six and 612, that feels like the between uh, two and 102, like those old toy things or th- yeah, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, Give me 10. Okay, Nico? I guess I'm getting bullied to think smaller. It's just so hard when, like Vin, well, think I'm global. such sorry, a big no, no, man. No. I'm sorry. We just play this game a lot. So at this point, like now I kind of have a range. Well, I will say you're both too low now. One more guess between 24 and 600, whatever. Damn, that's a ton. Okay. Um, 53. Yeah, 32. 97 people. Ha-ha! Jeez, that's insane. That's a really high. N- Nico, you were very, very close, dude. I will say that the rough rule of thumb that we do for movies that people seem to like is like 0.1%, right? So 85,000 yes. should be 85. So like that's where I sort of expect you guys maybe start, but or not you no, guys. No, but it's to older, Joe. but it's older and like you change, you know, you, people usually use more recent films, sure. so like, you know, those were what I was thinking. We're going to Han, which I just mm. like the name at Hanjo, H A N J O on Letterboxd. Rewatched it this year. Things y'all sleep on: bed, couch. David Tuhi's sci-fi masterpiece, Pitch Black, five stars. Fair. So now Han's top four favorite films. Number three is Pitch Black. Number one, Joe, is a movie that we have covered for this podcast that you have since turned into an annual tradition in your home. Strange Days. Strange Days is number one. I love Strange Days, and I love... Didn't you just reference another movie had Strange Days vibes? Or Rachel was saying there was, like, a new show that was on that's, like, pretty popular, and she said it felt very Strange Daisy, that, like, you put a helmet on and you can live an experience. Have you ever seen this movie, Nico? Do you know what this is? I have not seen it, but I am aware of it. It's great. Are you aware of it because you know the Fatboy Slim? Oh, that was it. And it's also in a car commercial, like a Nissan commercial, because you know Fatboy Slim's right here, right now is a, is a sample from Strange Days. I'm just aware of it because, like, my boyfriend is a film studies guy. Okay. Yeah. Kevo, wicked smat in the Boston vernacular. Number two, this is a very huge hint that I don't know will help either of you. Number two is a horror film set in Hohokus, New Jersey. Is it Halloween? No, that's set in Haddonfield, Illinois. Okay. Ho Hocus, New 19- Jersey is where uh, artist from Kid Riot, Taryn, is from, actually. Oh, well, I don't know if they've seen this movie, but I would I would imagine that every everyone in Ho Hocus is very proud of this very cheesy, wonderful horror film from 1990. Um, I, I don't know how Leprechaun? you guys... Would- nope, it's not, it's not part of a franchise. God, I wish it was part of a franchise. Oh, boy. Um, it is a film called Frankenhooker. Oh, I had no idea what that is. I would have never got Frankenhooker is a movie that Christian Larson introduced me to at Ramapo, and I adore. It is, in the opening scene, a mad scientist, he's not really a mad scientist at the start, but like, you know, a wacky scientist, builds his girlfriend's father for his birthday, 
a self-driving lawnmower and it goes haywire and kills the girlfriend. And so he puts her body in a freezer and then goes to New York to find hookers to recreate his girlfriend with the perfect body because he keeps her head in a rain. Um, it's wonderful. I highly recommend Frankenhooker. It is incredible. That okay. sounds like the prequel to Lawnmower Man I never knew I needed. So there's also there's Lawnmower Man 2. Like, I don't know. There's also Stephen King Lawnmower Man, totally unrelated. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, no, it's meant to be related. He's just like, how did you adapt my book into this? Yes. Okay. Because it's not the, it's, the stories are wildly not not similar in any way, right? Yeah. Wild. Okay. So number four is also a horror movie. So Han, a big fan of horror, because Strange Day is kind of some weird vibes. Frank and Hooker okay. horror movie. Pitch Black has some horror vibes. Number yeah. four, straight up horror. Uh, it's the second of three films by a new auteur on the scene. Came out a couple years ago. I think this is this guy's least good of his three movies, but I think it's also still a very good movie. Is came out in the... 2019. All of these guys' movies, all of this guy's movies have come out in the last 10 years. Okay. Tim Heidecker in this movie. That doesn't help me at all. Elizabeth now. Moss in this movie. Neither of these people are the star. The tagline for this movie is watch yourself. Watch yourself. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's shake it fast. Sorry. Yes. Shake your ass. Mysticals. By Mysticals. 2019 film. Watch shake yourself. Your yeah. Shake your ass. Watch yourself. Uh, no. Why don't you just tell me what you're working with? This movie, I believe, starts at a carnival. There is something that descends down from the carnival. Oh, it's the Vitch 2 carnival season. Yes, you got it. Um, No, but it is one of those elevated horror films. Horror, mystery, thriller. 2019. The director of this film is married to Chelsea Peretti. Oh, Oh, fuck. I've seen this. Is it us? It's us. Jordan Peele's us. Right. God, and like that's one of those marriages, like Richard Marks and Daisy Fuentes. I don't care which one of them I get to bang. I'm I'm into that marriage. That is like a beautiful, wonderful, very funny relationship. That you know, shout yeah. out to Chelsea Peretti. Uh, Strange Days, Frank and Hooker, Pitch Black, and Us. Han, good taste. Great, yeah. That's a that's a. I like that lineup, and I like because I like Strange Days a lot. So, um, Strange Days is as you know I've said before. It's like one of my favorite New Year's Eve movies. You don't get a lot of New Year's Eve movies, but that's when it's set. And I think it's a criminally slept on movie. And um, yeah, I watch it every year now after or before the CNN Anderson Cooper, Andy Cohen shit show that mm-hmm. happens every year. Well, what also happens every year, maybe, I don't know, that's a, that's a bad transition, is that Nico joins the podcast. So Nico, thank you for continuing this tradition. Thank you. Thank you for joining the show. You'll be back in three weeks to talk about Dark Fury and the Chronicles of Riddick, hopefully with Kevo in tow. But what do you got going on? What can you tell people about? What have you been up to since you were on this podcast oh so long ago to talk about the Fast and Furious movies? You know, I've been keeping my nose to the grindstone, working on some ish. Got some cool stuff coming out down the pipeline. Uh, Had a story come out over the summer in the Young Men in Love anthology with some unbelievable talent. Super excited to be part of that. Uh, also, X's for podcast over 400 episodes because Crazy. I'm gross. I'm literally gross. Very excited about that. Doing some really weird deep dives into some very specific things. I recently did a complete history on the publishing uh, rights saga of Marvel's Conan for like an hour for no reason. Um, because 
those are the sorts of things we do now on X's for podcast. We just look at the history of comics and dissect it really hard. Uh, I've got some cool stuff. I can't talk about so much uh, because like contracts are weird. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. um, but that's nice to have. Yeah. Just check me out over on Instagram and Twitter where uh, I share my thoughts on Twitter and I act like a thought on Instagram. Nico action, right? N I C O A C T I O N. That is exactly the case. Well, in three weeks, you will be back for the Chronicles of Riddick. I will also say that, so Pitch Black, I mentioned, had a budget of $23 million. The Chronicles of Riddick has a budget of $105 million. So they quadruple the budget, but just temper your expectations now. I mean, it's not going to be bad, but like, you know, it's not going to be four times as good as this. That's all I will say. That's fair. Next week, though, we are doing another Life in the Fast Lane, covering Too Fast, Too Furious, Minute 78. But between now and then, Joe, you and I have a bonus episode, a Patreon bonus episode that Haley has funded. We are continuing Magic Mike's Oh So Slowly and doing the Channing Tatum film Dear John. By the way, Nico, I don't know if Haley's ever written to you, but she has told me that she loved you guys so much on Too Fast that she has come over and she listens to HTML and... She really, really enjoys you and Kevo, and you got a new fan from being here. You know, that means the world to me. I love talking about comics, and it's so cool to be in my little comic book tent, but like having the opportunity to come talk with you guys about film and to get other perspectives. And Spy Racers. Don't forget Spy Racers. Spy Racers and video games. Like, you'll literally never get smarter if you don't challenge yourself with Mm -hmm. people who think differently than you, and... You know, if it doesn't star Mary Poppins or a xenomorph, it's hard to get me to watch it. And, you know, coming on, watching movies, I wouldn't necessarily personally pick, but then like finding silly magic in them, like, you know, the fast force and the furious force and the heart of the race. And I recently did a cover of Rush Rush on my Twitter um, <laughs> because it's a it's a pretty perfect piece of music. And, you know, I do like to think of this as the alternate timeline parallel second fast and furious movie for the cole hauser connection um and like that was something funny that kevo and i joked about while we were watching this that i could have never joked about if it hadn't been for having been on this and you know so thank you guys for opening my horizons and thank you for giving me the opportunity to watch a movie where vin diesel smiled as he pressed a knife into somebody's dick bulge If you want to watch Chronicles of Riddick ahead of next episode, it's also on Peacock Premium, at least for now. I don't think Dark Fury is streaming anywhere for free. I think you can rent it or buy it for a couple bucks somewhere. I think, from what I remember, honestly, I think that's better than, like, any of the movies. I think it's more interesting. I don't remember specifics. I remember, like, oh, okay. What order should I watch them in? Should I watch Dark Dark Fury? Fury is a prequel. So watch Dark Fury first. Watch Dark Fury first and then Chronicles of Riddick. Yes, that's a good question. Yes, Dark Fury first and then Chronicles of Riddick. In between then, though, Dear John, Life in the Fast Lane, and then Fast Five with Montez. For all things, oh, by the way, our Too Fast, Too Ever Not shop is going away. Uh, so just go to cageclub.me or whatever. You can find it. If you want to find our dumb stuff, just let us know, and we'll, we'll direct you in the right thing. It was going to cost like $40 to renew this domain name that we make $12 a year on. We're like, nope, pass. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to remember how to do this outro, Joe, without doing the Too Fast, Too Ever Not. I think it's going to work through November, maybe. But I've, okay. I've done this thing hundreds of times. Okay. I don't know. We're going to find out. Okay. Here we go. 
for all things Too Fast, Too Forever, go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash Too Fast, Too Forever, or at Too Fast, Too Forever on Twitter and Instagram. Email us. This is all the same. Family at cageclub.me. Yep. Check out our Patreon page at Too Fast, Too Forever.com and our store somewhere on Public. Not bad. I'll, I'll work on it. And come back next week for Life in the Fast Lane and also on the Patreon bonus episode for Dear John. I'm Joey Lewandowski. I'm Joe too. And that was Nico Vasello of the 400 plus episodes of X's for a podcast. And we'll tell you all about it. Let's see.